Ron and Anian. All the stuff works great for the first 60, 50, 60, 70,000 miles. Show me how all this technology holds up at the 150, 200,000 mile mark. The Car Doctor. I have an 83 Camaro, okay. uh, all original, right. 305 carburetor. Right. Thinking about changing it over to fuel injection. Problem is, is, I can't find anybody around up here to work on carburetors. Yeah, that's, you know, it's it's sad. It, it's just, you know. Yeah, it is. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Eating the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. I wonder if I say that number in my sleep. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Give us a call and uh, we'll hook you up. We'll solve your car problem. That's what this radio show tries to do each and every week and has for the past 27 plus years. Cardoctorshow.com is the website. Go there. You can find podcast information as well as other ways to listen to us. We are live on the stream uh, Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. on the network. And, um, you know, you can podcast us. Subscribe. Please subscribe. Um, it helps us as, a, you know, the business side of radio, right? We've uh, It is a business, and um, we do try to be here each, for you each and every week with the help of our sponsors, and we appreciate them being here to support us so that we can support you. Did you read the article this week about Ford? And I wanted to comment about this. Ford is going to abandon making American sedans by 2020, and this comes to me courtesy of Ed Goitis, Ed Goitis Capital, Ed Goitis, uh, GoitisCapital.com. Um, Eddie's always on the cutting edge, and uh, he sent me an article this week that cars will be just 10% of Ford's North American portfolio by the year 2020. And the thing I don't understand is, and I'll, read, I'll go over the article in a minute, but so they're saying that we're not making enough Crown, you know, there's no money in Crown Vicks, which they don't make anymore anyway, um, and sedans and full-size sedans. The only car that they're really going to be using or keeping around is the Mustang, and, and something else. So everything is going to go to an SUV or a small SUV. Or... Well, the, the other car is the focus, and they said they were going to be introducing either six or seven new SUVs. Right. Now, the part I don't get is, and, and you know, uh, geez, wasn't it five years ago? And it can't be longer than that because my memory's not that good. I'm so old now. Um, wasn't it five years ago when they were talking about how we wanted to cut truck production because fuel economy was so terrible on them and we building cars would allow us to... Uh, get better fuel economy out of the corporate fleet. So, you know, what, what's the game here? Um, you know, there's there, there's something wrong that I just... And we're going to build SUVs, which I want to I tell you for the record, and I've said this for 20 years now, if you look at SUVs, look at a Suburban, look at an Escape, look at an Explorer, what do they really look like? Stretched out, bigger versions of station wagons, which everybody rode to school in in the 60s and the 70s, right? So we've just taken what we once had condensed it, shaped it, stretched it, made it bigger, much more expensive, and we've resold it to the American public. Boy, you guys aren't too smart sometimes. I don't know. Um, but then again, it's like I told Carpenter Bob the other day. We were talking about ventriloquism, and uh, he was saying, what about Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen? I go, yeah, and that was a ventriloquist act on radio. How hard is that to do? Hello? 
So is it any wonder we can now make SUVs and have everybody go, oh, I'll buy one of those. They're totally different. Yeah, okay. Um, I had this conversation this morning. I know I'm off the tangent here. I had this conversation this morning. I was at the chiropractor this morning getting adjusted, having my back and my foot put back together, no pun intended. And I was listening to the young moms while I was on the table talk about their cars. And one of them was talking about her new Subaru and how she loves her 2017 Subaru and what a great car it is. And it has all the little electronics features. And the other one was talking about her her Chevy um, Equinox or something and, you know, the automatic closing hatch on the back and all the electronic bells and whistles and the automatic sunroof. And I listened to the whole conversation and I, you know, I got up off the table and I went and I sat down and put my shoes on and they, they brought me into the conversation. They know I'm a, I'm a car guy and um, they asked me, you know, what did I think? And I said, you know, when my kids were growing up, I was fortunate because, number one, I didn't have to worry about buying a new car and having a, a young child fruit loop it to death, as, as we know they sometimes do. You know, kids seem to be able to find the weirdest things to grind into the seats of the new car and the carpet. Um, my kids were always in four-, five-year-old, four-door Chevy Impalas. They were, they were big enough in that we would never be homeless if the house ever burned down. Um, they were old enough that if they destroyed it, you didn't care. And if you ever got into an accident, you were probably going to be the ones to walk away because there was enough sheet metal around you. And I said after the Chevy Impalas, then it was old Chevy station wagons, which then later grew into the Suburban in 2004 when the youngest Danaean was 10 or 11 years old at the time. And, you know, they thought about it, and they said, yeah, you know, that makes sense, and we wish there were cars like that around today because it, it kills us to go out and lease new cars because everybody leases. We're leasing new cars, and then, you know, our, our kids, one, one woman had five kids, another woman had three, um, are, are destroying the cars. And it makes me go back to this article, right? Ford's about to abandon American sedans. Maybe they're not making the right American sedans. How come they're not making a station wagon? How come they're choosing to build heavier, bigger, less fuel-efficient, I mean, from my seat, they've got to be, they're bigger, trucks and SUVs. Why aren't we building, you know, where's a, where's a, where's a mid-sized station wagon fit in the American market today? Or we don't want that. I guess that's what people aren't looking for. Uh, I sat and I, I, I talked to the young moms a little bit this morning, and I reminded them, you know, all these bells and whistles are great until it breaks, and if it's leased, that's one thing. But leasing, you're always in the leasing loop. If you're ever going to own a car, you've got to stop to think about the fact that sooner or later you're going to have to pay for repairs. And sometimes if you can't afford it, you know what? A plain white refrigerator that gets the ice cubes cold is all you really need. The Model T, the 32 Deuce Coupe, the Thunderbird, the Mustang, for much of its 115-year history, Ford Motor Company has been synonymous with cars. But now Ford, one of the great engines of the 20th century American industry, is about to do the unthinkable, abandon the American car business almost entirely. Two years from now, two years from now, folks, 10% of the vehicles rolling off Ford assembly lines and into North American showrooms will be sedans and sports cars like the Taurus or Mustang. The rest will be pickups, SUVs, and commercial vehicles. More lucrative models that the company hopes will secure its future as change tears through the global auto industry. And then it goes on to point out what would Henry Ford think, radical departure, yada, yada, yada. Here's what's interesting. Ford's board, the you know chairman of their, their executive board, ousted its chief executive officer last year and replaced him with Jim Hackett, a cost cutter, who's prepared to make who's prepared to make the sort of audacious gambles that Wall Street thinks have been missing. In the long term, abandoning car segments may turn out to have been the wrong move. The Trump administration's plan for weaker mileage standards 
don't last after his presidency. And Japanese automakers also are likely to welcome less competition for some of their best sellers, including the Toyota Camry and the Honda Civic. For Ford, doubling down on trucks and SUVs could be just what the brand needs, says Jessica Caldwell, an analyst for Edmunds. But this move isn't without risk. Ford is willing to alienate its car owners and conceding market share. That's the part that makes no sense to me. All right. All of a sudden now, you know, you've been going to Ford on a on a on a you know regular basis. You're a you're a loyal customer, and you're just you keep purchasing that same sedan every five, six years, seven, eight years. All of a sudden now, you're pushing them into the competition because you don't meet something in that marketplace. I think this is a risky move. I don't know if I would take this move. Um, I don't know that you need to take this move. Mr. Ray has a comment. What What did I tell? What did I say before we went on the air today? My wife has always driven a sedan. Now, okay, maybe she could use a SUV with the winters we have up here, but the bottom line is she doesn't want an SUV, right? and it's always been a Ford. I've driven a Ford since high school, and it's like, what am I going to do now when she needs a car? I'm going to have to go someplace else. I don't want to. Well, and, and, and you know, sometimes you just don't want to drive a truck, Tom. You know, it's um, I've, 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 I've talked to people day in, day out, week in, week out about what to buy, and I'll, I'll recommend, you know, go look. And Ford makes some nice trucks. I'm not... I'm not knocking that. Go look at an Escape. Go look at an Explorer. And the comment I get is, I don't want something that rides like a truck. You know, I like a sedan. And I, you know, to me it doesn't make a lot of sense either because we're, we're alienating the older established population that's buying the cars. And, you know, the young kids coming up today, they're not interested in buying vehicles. They're not interested in owning vehicles. A lot of the kids today Uber, all right? And they, they just... They use Lyft and they, you know, use all these car sharing services. They're not interested in buying an SUV and keeping it five, six, seven years like the current, you know, uh, the majority of people out there now. So I don't know where this is going. I really don't. You know, like an escape for myself makes a lot of sense because of the things I do and the places I go and my daughter who's in vet school. Yeah. Well, that would make sense for her because she would need to get in in an emergency. My wife doesn't. Uh, you know, I mean, really, what 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 are people who need a sedan going to do? And I've been loyal to the brand because I always know what I'm getting. You know, and I don't know if this is I don't know if this is, is if this is pertinent to the conversation. So, the Monte Carlo showed up a year ago, seventy two Monte Carlo. Okay, it's old; it's fifty years old. Danny sat in it. Now Danny's twenty eight, right? Young kid. He sat in the Monte Carlo, and he said, "My God, this, the front seat is more comfortable than the couch in my living room." And I said, right, that's the way it used to be. This is the way sedans were made. Or, you know, this is the way, you know, two doors were made. This is the way cars were made. And we've gotten away from this. And now we're going to create this. You know, I don't care how you package it. You know, a pig is still a pig. All right? It still smells like pork. All right? And you sit in a Suburban. You sit in an Expedition. You sit in an Explorer. It's still a truck. You can't get away from that. It rides like a truck. It looks like a truck. It's bacon, no matter which way you slice it. And there are times you're just tired of riding around in a truck, period, done, end of conversation, not to mention the price. The article later goes on to talk about how Ford is trying to return to profitability two years earlier than, than you know their analysts are predicting. And one of the things that they say is, yeah, if Trump doesn't get reelected in 2020 and it doesn't last beyond his presidency, and the next president, the next guy in the White House boosts the fuel economy standards, you know what? 
Ford is going to be borrowing money from the federal government like they didn't have to in 2008 because this is the wrong move. Mark your calendars, folks. I think this is the wrong move. 855-560-9900. We're going to open the garage doors when the car doctor returns. Don't go away. It's the little old lady from Pasadena. He drives that way, but when it comes to fixing cars, Ron has car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. I don't know. Come on out. We'll take you out for a ride in black. I'll show you what driving easy is all about. Let's get over and talk to, uh, let's go talk to Craig in Tom's River, New Jersey, 18 Toyota Sienna. Hey, Craig, how can I help you, sir? What's going on? Um, My daughter just bought a brand new uh, uh, Sienna in 2018, and they're saying that it changed the oil every 20,000 miles, or 10,000. And I was wondering what your take was on that. Every 10,000, they're saying, right? Yeah, Yeah, every 10,000. Here's here's the problem. Let's let's let, and let's get away from the you know the, the debate that rages on the internet about better oils, better filters, and you know it's all great stuff and it's all wonderful. All right. How long is it going to take your daughter to put ten thousand miles on the car? Uh, probably uh, three quarters of a year. Okay. Maybe. So eight months. All right. Let's call it that. Eight months. Ten months. Yeah. All right. So. In 10 months' time, how many seasons is she going to go through? Two and a half? Yeah. The change in temperature alone is going to turn the TPMS light on two times. Unless, you know, unless she's down there, is she the kind of person that's going to go and have the tire pressure checked regularly? No. Right. <laughs> and, 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 that's, and, and that's the problem. All right? So now she's going to be either trying to put air in the tires on her own, or putting air in the tires at home. Somebody's going to buy her a compressor. Thanks, Dad. Okay. Or or she's going to be showing up at your house. Hey, Dad, can you check my tire pressure for me? All right. Yeah. An oil change is so much more than just changing the oil if it's done properly. A good technician is anticipating the time of year the oil is being changed, what the tire air requirements are going to be over the next three to four, five months, depending upon the interval of oil change. And, you know, looking at underhood fluids, just making sure that not just the oil's changed and the filter's replaced and that the level's good, but any other underhood fluids. And, you know, maybe not so much on an 18 vehicle, but, you know, as that vehicle ages, what's going on under the hood? What does the front of the radiator look like? Has it, have any rocks flown up and damaged the condenser? Is there any undercarriage damage as she's traveling down the roads? You know, an oil change was never meant to just change oil in a filter. An oil change was a reason to put the car up in the air and look at the rest of the vehicle. And, and you know, this, this extended oil drain interval, to me, is the work of somebody that's just not practical or, or street savvy in their understanding of, you know, what an oil change is about. All right? If it were my yeah. vehicle, you know, yeah. now, we'll, now we'll have the conversation about synthetic oils and oil filters. Okay? Right. Yes. There are oils out there, and there are filters out there that will go 10,000 miles, all right? To my knowledge, a Toyota OE-level oil filter is not rated to go more than 7,500 to 8,000 miles. And I get this from different filter manufacturers and their engineers that, and one of them I can think of is, I believe, making the oil filters for Toyota. Because nobody actually, no car companies actually make anything anymore, they just borrow it and have it subbed out and made for them by another manufacturing facility. So, 
you know, the first oil change is tough because the dealer always gives it to you for free. Hey, come get our free oil change that you just paid $45,000 for the vehicle for. We'll give you a free oil change. Hey, what a deal, right? Well, they're giving her two years. Two oh, yeah. years of free. Right. So, what are they gonna, so, so they sold her a $45,000 vehicle, and she's going to get $200 worth of free oil changes that are worth forty nine ninety five. I mean, you know, wow, what a deal. It's, you know, it's, it's listen. You get what you pay for. If she's planning to keep the car eight to ten years, like it's probably capable of doing, here's here's the decision point. All right, here's the moment where she's got to decide: Does she want to go to the dealer and get the vehicle serviced? And I'm not saying dealers are bad, but does she want to build a relationship with this vehicle at the dealer, or does she want to build that relationship with a qualified mechanic, whether it's independent or dealership? Somebody she can go to and be reasonable and realistic about service intervals. If that was my vehicle, synthetic oil, I'd be changing the oil every five to six thousand miles. Yeah, All right? that, that's what I. That was my surmise. I was going to do. Yeah. You know, if, if 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 we want to take things right to the cutting edge, I just you know what I've been doing this. I started when I was sixty. I started when I was sixteen. I'm sixty-one, brother. You do the math. I've been doing this. This isn't my first day at the rodeo. I've seen a lot, and my experience has been that car that, you know, gets the least amount of service is the one that it has the most problems as it ages. It may not be a problem child in the fifty to sixty thousand mile mark, but when that thing gets eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand miles on it, that's where the stuff usually happens. And by then, it's six, seven years old, and you know what she's thinking? Hey, maybe I'll go out and buy another forty-five thousand, which will now be a sixty thousand dollar car. And you know, I'll just—it's okay. It's just a new car. It's just another car. What's the big deal? Um, I, I, I think if if my daughter and my grandchildren are riding around in it, I'd be oil changing every five to six thousand. Yeah. I'd be thinking about tire pressure. I'd be thinking about physical inspections. I'd be thinking about tire. Ro- what is she going to do? Rotate the tires every time she takes the car in for service? <laughs> right. I don't think so. I don't think so. And and here's yeah. and here's the other kicker. Does she have a spare tire? Is that an all-wheel drive Sienna? It's no run flat tires. Right. If, if is is it run flat tires? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the second biggest folly ever ever portrayed upon the American public. All right. Um, the, the first was my mother, the car with Jerry Van Dyke. But you know, uh, you know, run flat tires are just off the wall. Uh, you know, it's it's they need to be rotated and maintained more so than the oil for crying out loud. So what are they going to do? Every five thousand miles, take the car in for an, a tire rotation and change the oil every other change? We're getting it backwards here. Um, yeah, yeah, we're really getting it backwards. You'll never convince me otherwise. You could show me the president of Blackstone Labs could show me the oil an- analysis report, and I'm going to laugh in his face. All right, change the oil and filter every five to six. Play at the safe side. The difference being that you're under the hood on a more regular basis, and you're maintaining a look at the vehicle's overall condition, which is what an oil change was really about. I'm Ron Annie in the car doctor. We'll be back right after this. Thanks for the call. Welcome back. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Last week's show, we had a gentleman from Maine, I believe it was, with an 83 Camaro and some problems with uh, uh, carburetor work. And we were having a conversation on air talking about, you know, he's looking for a guy that does carburetors. And I said, yeah, you got to find old guys like me. Um, and to wit, we actually uh, struck a nerve because a gentleman by the name of John, we're going to get the name of his repair shop 
up here in a minute from Bangor, Maine. As we put them on the air. Uh, they say, hey, I can do carburetors, and uh, I'm old like Ron. John, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How are you, brother? Welcome. Uh, so, uh, what's, uh, what's the name of your shop? Let's get that out there. It's Miss Auto Tech. Okay, and where are you located? Right in Bangor on the Griffin Road. Okay, and um, are you an old guy like me? You must be. You know carburetors. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it 40 years, and the guy before me is in the business 50 years. Yeah. Um, you know, isn't it isn't it funny how something so simple people just run away from screaming? That's true. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm hoping that and we're looking for the call from last week because Tom logs them all. Except this is the one that he didn't log. You know, it's always the one you miss. And uh, we're yeah, going to see if we get a, we can see if we can get a hold of this gentleman and give him your number. But hopefully he's listening. Yeah. That uh, when the show plays up there, I think it's tomorrow when we're live in Maine. Uh, tomorrow right, morning yeah. in that market. Yeah. We, we play on, on Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, WVOM. That you'll get it. Um, so let me ask you, you're doing more carburetors than me, I think. I think your car population's a little bit older. Uh, are you finding yeah. ha- are you finding harder to get parts than it was five or ten years ago? A few parts. Uh, I've always been uh, nose to the grindstone, just dogged chasing something uh, to get the correct part. And... Uh, I've got quite a few uh, angles to search stuff, and the, in general, not a big deal. You know, you wait two three days versus getting it instantly. Yeah, you know, I was looking the other day. I'm gonna we're gonna rebuild the carb on the Monte Carlo. I'm putting a four barrel Q jet on it, and you know, gee whiz, how hard could it be to get a a, a, a rebuild kit for it? You know, um, no, it doesn't exist anymore. I found one, and it's coming. But you know, it took it was more than it was more than one phone call. I'll put it to you that yeah. way, and it's it's kind of depressing. I remember the days where you know, not only could you just get a new carburetor, you know, you can get the kit, the float, the the, the choke pull off, and everything else you needed with one one uh, one phone call. And it's just you know, the last carburetor vehicle was 1988, and uh, we're a few years removed from that. We're you know we're yeah. 88, 98 to 30 years ago. Um, yeah, back back then I used to do up with the five carburetors a day, and now I do maybe 25 a year. Right. Right, but I still I still stock stock a lot of the parts for the carburetor kits anyway, because yeah. uh, I found that over the years, uh, buying kits complete and there's a defective part and then you got to wait two days to get another kit. What's the oldest? And I couldn't do that. What's the oldest carburetor you ever built, John? Uh, Old, oldest vehicle? Uh, Model A, because I'm into antique cars anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I also did one for the uh, fire truck in the Bangor Fire Department Museum. It's a thirty-nine, I think it's a thirty-nine mechanic, something like that, and yeah. They sent it out to different places, and they said they couldn't rebuild it. Well, within two hours, I had kit parts coming for it. Yeah, you're the guy, then. I don't know why everybody in Bangor, Maine can't find a carburetor guy. You sound like the guy to me. Uh, the uh, you know, Those quarter jets, uh, one of the problems they have with them is the cover in the bowl warps. And if you don't straighten that, flatten that out, uh, you'll have trouble with the ceiling properly. Yep, yeah, and you'll get spillover. Um, oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. And, uh, I ran into that number of years ago. Some customer brought one in, and I couldn't believe how much they warped it. Between the two bolt holes in the front, you could stick a quarter-inch drill bit under it. You know, I, I think I think what people misperceive is they think they don't realize that there is a difference between, and I'm going to say it like this, rebuilding the carburetor and remanufacturing the carburetor. You know, rebuilding the carburetor to me is sticking a kit in it, you know, gaskets and seals. But remanufacturing the carburetor is looking at everything with a square edge, blowing through all the holes, cleaning everything out, changing all the gaskets and seals, and, you know, bushing the shaft if it needs to be bushed, you know, going through. That's that's really rebuilding the carburetor. We'll use the term remanufacture. That's, you know, if you got a dip tank, dipping it back to the original color just for effect, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lost art today. It really is. 
side and then sometimes we go to the gas station we put the dirt in at three dollars a gallon which is a whole nother story i I was i was at a training seminar this past week um put on by the folks down here bywise auto parts is probably one of the biggest parts houses in the state uh five locations throughout northern and uh, central jersey and ryan i was talking to ryan one of the owners and he was telling me the story i said so you know what has gotten a carburetor because carburetors are on my mind now we had the call last week and we had a couple the week before, and I knew you were going to be here today, and I was thinking about carburetors, and I said, so what is the deal with carburetors? I said, can you get any new ones? And he said, no. He says, we haven't had carburetors in the in the warehouse for probably the better part of eight or ten years. And he said, you know, eight, ten years ago, he said, we had two pallets. This will make you cry, John. We had two pallets of brand new carbs in the boxes or rebuilt carbs in the boxes. Couldn't give them away, and we had to make a choice. We had We needed the warehouse space he goes i called a buddy of mine who was into fords i sold him all the ford carbs for a couple of hundred dollars and we just scrapped all the rest and i just went oh boy um you know and 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 the sad part is all those castings they're not making them anymore and they've got to be getting harder to find i would think Oh, yeah, I think John's breaking up. Hey, John, we're going to say goodbye. I think your phone's breaking up, brother. But um, do this. Shoot me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com, ron at cardoctorshow.com, if you would. Shoot me an email with your contact info. I think maybe Tom's got it. Tom, do you have John's contact info? Tom's got it. Um, I'm going to try and find that caller with the Camaro and shoot him your contact info. And uh, we appreciate you calling in. And listen, we want to highlight guys that can still do you know what, if the callers and the listeners are looking for certain services and you can do it, give us a call and we'll talk about it up here on radio. And uh, I don't mind giving somebody a couple of minutes of airtime because we're solving people's problems and that's what this radio show is really all about. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Don't go away. Little GTO, you really look at Three deuces and a four-speed. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Oh, is it my turn? (laughs) I like GTO. You know what GTO stands for? Gran Turismo. Let me see if I can get this right. Gran Turismo Omlangata. It's it's a reference, I believe, to an Italian racing car. Um, That was my understanding. So if I'm wrong, somebody shoot me a note. But, yeah, that's what GTO means. I, and all, 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 all along, I always thought in high school it meant garbage truck option, but that was a whole other story. So, um, you know, as the owner of the Chevy, I could say that. So, sorry, guys. Um, let's go over and talk to Bob in Iowa. OHEMC one time. Boy, we're going to get a lot of hate mail this week. So, um, but I like GTOs, actually. Um, you know, I've got some great GTO stories, but we'll, we'll keep those reserved for those quiet fireside chats. Bob in Iowa, it's your turn, sir. You can start talking. I'm Ron Annie in the car doctor. How can I help? How you doing today, Ron? Good, sir. What's going on? I got a uh, 08 GMC one-ton dually. Okay. And it's four-wheel drive. Right. And the transfer case lights on the button are completely dead. Right. 
and it doesn't do anything when you okay. try to switch it. Right. So there's no four-wheel uh, drive operation. Correct. It's it's in two-wheel drive. All right. Now, I checked, I checked pin two. It had 12 volts. I checked pin six, got a ground, and pin 12, or uh, pin 11, has five-volt reference signal. Uh, at the at, at the OBD two connector, no, at the switch connector. Okay, okay. Uh, go go back over that again. I was I was my mind was in a different place. So where where were you? I'm at the the plug in on the back of the control switch. Okay, and which which pin had what now? Two had twelve volts. Right. Six has a ground, and eleven has a five volt well. 4.99 volt signal. Okay. Um, my next step, well, my first step would really be, can we grab a scan tool and can we communicate with this puppy? It has 16 codes in it. Okay. And what are, <laughs> what are some of the codes? Uh... I'll pull it up here in just let me, a second. Let me, let me tell you. I bet you some of the codes are U, U0073, U00, or U0100, 101, 102, 109, ringing yeah. your bells? Yeah. 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 All right. There's body codes. Yep. There's, yeah. It's it all. says the fuel rail pressure's high. For some reason, I don't know why. It runs fine. Right. Okay. So, let me. you got you got a pencil? Sure. Get your hands on this bulletin and read it. It's a 21-page bulletin. It's going to take a little bit to do. Um, so in terms of reading, it's, it's like uh, the factory manual. Yeah, it's like well, no, the factory manual is probably ten thousand pages. So this is just a shorter bridge version of it. I've got it. And it's seven books. Yeah, Two oh, I, I can imagine. Um, but take a look at bulletin. Take a look at bulletin o eight o seven thirty dash o twenty one, and I believe they're up to a version H. They might be up to a, a G. Might be up to a G by now. And this talks about loss of. Communications on the bus, the CAN bus, uh, sometimes no crank operation, sometimes dash cluster problems, sometimes lock cycling, trans not shifting, multiple codes, sort of what you're describing. And what they're talking about is failure to communicate with various modules on the circuit. All right? Correct. Um, I'm not saying that's your problem, but that's where I would start. The, the, the first step I would take here is, you know, I would try to sort these codes out in some order of priority and likely clear them and see what comes back. All right? I would also, okay. make, sure, I would also make sure that I write everything down so I'm not just throwing away information. I okay? was just doing that before they called. <laughs> All right. Now, on, on pin three at that, at that switch, Correct. do you have ground? Pin three? Pin three. If memory serves me right, pin three is ground at 102 under the hood. This is a gas truck or a diesel truck? Diesel. Diesel. Okay, then it's ground 103. Ground 103, I believe, goes to one of the cylinder heads in the engine compartment. All okay. Right? Make sure that switch is grounded. Do you have a wiring diagram for that switch? I'm sure you do, right, Bob? You've got the... You've got yeah. The, yeah. It, it's in one of these manuals. <laughs> yeah, take a take a look at that switch. I mean, listen, you're approaching it right. You're pinning out the switch, trying to figure out what you don't have. Looking at, look, there's two hots. There's a constant hot and there's an ignition hot. If both of those are working, all right, um, and I believe those are coming in on G and C. Uh, I'll know it as G and C. I don't know it as 1 and 2. And I'm sorry, it's not X3. That's the connector. It's D is the pin. 
you should have a ground there, and it should be the black wire. But I would pin out the switch, I'd clear the codes, see what comes back. I would also try and communicate with the transfer case control module, the TCCM. Uh-huh. All right. Can you talk to that with your scan tool, or are you going to tell me you've got a, a smaller OBD2 generic tool? I got an Actron 9580. Will that talk to all the modules? I can get to the uh, I can get the codes for like the body modules and stuff. But okay. I don't think it'll go into the uh, transfer case module. Yeah. All right. I mean, we can try and work around it. The problem's going to be it's you're sort of you're you're sort of trying to tell one of your kids, hey, it's time to get to bed, and you don't have a direct phone line. So you're going to have to bounce around from somebody else to try and get the message through, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay. So it, it may be time to maybe get a little bit of a better scan tool, something that can talk to all the modules. There's probably better than 35 modules on that vehicle, and you can probably only talk to, I'm going to say, 10 of them. Kind of a problem. Yeah, it's, it's all right. every time I turn around, right. there's another module somewhere. Well, look, at it, look, at it, look at it like this, and then I'm going to go. It's an excuse to go buy another tool. So just explain it to the wife that way and see what she says, but at least then you'll be able to fix the truck. Do that. Clear the codes. What comes back? Pin out that switch. Give me some readouts. Look at ground 103. Get your hands on that bulletin. Call me next week, and we can continue this conversation, and uh, we'll help you get to the bottom of it. I appreciate the call, Bob. Good luck to you. 855-560-9900. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, rolling along. By the way, I should point out we had John on the phone talking about carburetors. Interestingly enough, he sent us a note. 95% of his repairs are bad fuel-related, and he uses a pizza oven to heat up and straighten out the carburetor castings. And, um, you know, just, just neat ideas, right? You know, that's back in the day when you actually rebuilt things. You Carburetors were, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was like uh, it was like therapy. Let's go over and talk to Pete in Tewksbury. Is that Tewksbury, Mass., uh, with an 06 PT Cruiser and a shimmy? Pete? Welcome to the good car, Doctor. Good How afternoon, can, Ron. Yes, sir. How can I help? Yeah, 2006 PT Cruiser. It's got uh, 205, 65, 15 tires on it. Okay. Anything above 30 miles an hour, when you accelerate, you feel like like you've got a wheel weight off or you've got an out-of-balance tire. Is it only... Back, is, you back off the acceleration, it smooths right out. It's got a bad drive axle. Okay. All right. Um, that easy. Well, it's it's likely. Let me let me let me back up and and I'm and I'm saying that quick because we're going to run out of time. Okay. Uh, if you're driving along at 60 miles an hour and not accelerating, and you're just cruising along at 60. Is it smooth? Yes. If you start to accelerate, does it start to shimmy and shake? Yes. Okay. One of the drive axles. Have a mechanic take a look at the 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 drive axles. Um, usually, it's the left side, and that's an educated guess. But one of the drive axles is likely notched. There's an inner and an outer joint. The inner joint is sometimes referred to as the plunge joint. Sure. The, pl the plunge joint is three drive balls or three drive bearings against a similarly shaped housing. Looks like a tulip. Looks like a tulip. Exactly right. The tulip housing. What happens is it wears out over time. Okay. And the when you only got ninety-two thousand miles on it. Yeah, you know, it's they're just broken in. Um, you know, when they when they start to wear out and you accelerate like that, you're actually pulling the plunge in and out of the casting, and that's what makes the shimmy and the shake. If you've been through the tire balance routine, if you've moved the tires around, if the motor mounts are good, if you've exhausted all other possibilities, tell me what's good with the car, and it's time to think about what's left. And Two of those things that are left are the drive axles, and I would take a very hard, careful look at them. You might have to disassemble them. You might want to just change them based on their age and mileage, but I would take a look at those. I'm Ron and Andy in the car, Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.